guys, welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. Did I say that weird? I feel like I said that weird. I wasn't very enthusiastic. No, sorry, let me start over. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. I'm Victoria. And I'm Whitney. And we're so glad you joined in to listen today. If I guess have... the louder you are, the more meaningful you are. The more enthusiastic. We have jazz hands. Jazz hands in the chat. Anyway, so if you enjoy our show and want to hear more, be sure to give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to have you listen in to future episodes. If this is your first time listening into our podcast, we are not this crazy, usually. Not usually. I mean, we are kind of funny. It usually takes a couple chapters of the book for us, for us to, to really mm-hmm. get into it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, in today's episodes, we are going to be introducing our new series in the book of Leviticus. So... Mm-hmm. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. Leviticus <laughs> Jumping right in. Leviticus is a continuation of Exodus. It literally picks up right where Exodus left off. So if yeah. you remember, back in Exodus, God had just descended on the tabernacle and filled the whole entire tabernacle. Tab- <laughs> God's glory had just filled the entire tabernacle. And that's literally where it ended. Yep. This is not like the ending of... Genesis in the beginning of Exodus, where we had a very long span of years. Mm -hmm. This is basically just a continuation. Yep. Continuation. So the whole point. No, we'll get into the point in a minute. Let me read some things that are in my study Bible. Can I just point out before you start reading uh, that according to my Bible, Mm. it's, you know, electronic. We are nine, nine percent of the way through. Oh, nine percent of the way hey, through the Bible. I mean, that's something. So we're almost double digits. By the grace of God, we got through Exodus. We're that's here. all I gotta say. We made it out. <laughs> Pun intended. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, Leviticus is is very important, and it's very technical things, and it should be because if we'll get into why the book is where it is and what it means and all of that, but. It's very similar to Exodus in that we have a lot of instructions and there are a lot of things yeah. that we're talking about that are somewhat similar. Yes. And a lot of what I read is, is that I guess Leviticus for a lot of people is difficult for them to get through because it's just very dry. Yeah. Yeah. So and we're going to try to not make it be as such. I feel like it's a lot of things. Why it's so difficult to get through and on this side of the cross mm-hmm. is because we don't do these things anymore. Exactly. It's not necessary exactly. anymore, but it's necessary to understand why they had to do these things and why Leviticus yeah. exists because it is part of the Bible story. Exactly. So, and if God didn't think it was important, it wouldn't be here. Exactly. It and it there. gives us better context and look f- you know, to the future with Christ, a lot of these things points to him and a lot of these things he referenced in his ministry on earth. So yeah. it's good to understand the, the, the law of his time mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So. Yep. Anywho. So getting into my study section of my Bible, my Bible's really good. It gives me an entire introduction to Leviticus. Um, just for reference, I have the ESV version, um, study Bible by Crossway. Mm-hmm. I'll eventually post it. Look, we'll get our we'll get our socials up and running eventually. Maybe I'll through the fourth links. book. <laughs> I'll have links to all of our, yeah. our materials and all the things that we use and all of that. Yes. So. And the Bible that you actually have is the exact electronic yeah. version that I have. And what's really nice is that like the references when they put it in, like you're about to read, mm-hmm. they're direct links to them. So you don't have to worry about flipping through and all of that oh good see i have to flip you can have it on multiple devices your phone your ipad whatever yes but it's not free 
anyway no anywho either was your bible <laughs> oh no this thing was not free if you could see it it's ginormous it's leather bound it has gold pages like it's humongous it's massive you could probably knock somebody out with it it's <laughs> like, a large print it's it's not large print though say. it's just study <laughs> <laughs> i mean i love the study portion don't get me wrong yes. but anyway. okay so um like genesis and like exodus moses was likely the main author of leviticus um it is part of the pentateuch which is technically the law of moses mm-hmm. um or the law specifically mm-hmm. all five Mosaic first law yep all five five i said that weird all the first <laughs> you get my can't say those words <laughs> i know <laughs> okay the first five books of the bible or the pentateuch are considered quote-unquote the law yes so moses was the author it does pick up where exodus left off and my bible has like a little thing about the name i can't pronounce all the things that are in this paragraph but i'm gonna read it anyway she's gonna do her best the hebrew name for leviticus taken from the beginning of the book is Wayakra, Wayakra, sure. I don't know. Meaning, and he called. The English name Leviticus can be traced back to the Septuagint. Septuagint. The GK translation. The Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Bible, in which the book is called Laetitikon. Laetitikon. Laetikon, sure. Meaning things concerning Levites. This title may be incorrectly suggesting that the material of the book concerns only what priests do, as will become apparent. Leviticus is much more about is much oh my gosh. Leviticus is about much more than priestly duties. Maybe I shouldn't be reading. (laughs) (laughs) Just takes a minute to get warmed up. Fiction is done with the tip of the tongue. I know I didn't do my like my facial exercises. I mean, we started rolling and I wasn't ready for it. No. So I was like, oh, we're going. But I feel like that happens every time. So. I mean, clearly I was not enthusiastic Fiction. enough. <laughs> anyway, so the book of Leviticus um, is, is an instruction um, manual, basically. Yeah, it's an instruction I was just going to say that. It's exactly what it is. And we have an overarching problem from Leviticus or from Exodus to Leviticus and that God has descended on the tabernacle, but he descended on an area of sinful people. So the people cannot dwell with mm-hmm. God. They cannot live in his presence as mm-hmm. they are. So they have to have certain rituals. They have to do certain things in order to become right with God so that they can dwell with him. Correct. Because not only is the area where God dwells holy, but the area around where he dwells is holy as well. So if you think about it, the tabernacle was built in the middle of camp. It was the central hub of the entire, you know, Israelite people. And everything around the tabernacle, everything that was centered and spread out, like the camp itself where the the Israelites lived, included that area where God was. Yeah, absolutely. you know, as we have all learned, being in the presence of God when you're in an unholy or unfit state. Not safe. It's not safe. It's very dangerous. It's, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous time. Hence the bells. <laughs> Say the bells and the pom-poms. <laughs> so the the main problem from Exodus to Leviticus is that we have God who is holy and we have a sinful people who want to dwell with God, but we can't do that yet. Yeah. And remember, it's because they 
broke the covenant. covenant. Yeah. They made a golden because calf. This is God not is still long angry. after that. Yeah. He is very angry. Rightfully so. <laughs> so they have to do things. And God is giving the instructions on what to do in order to not die and be able to dwell with them. Exactly. Um. So the theme from my study Bible says the book of Leviticus is a further and deeper unfolding of the divine human relationship codified mm-hmm. on Mount Sinai. On the one hand, it assumes that Israel is sinful and impure. On the other hand, it describes how to deal with sin and impurity so that the Holy Lord can dwell in the people's midst. Wow. That said that a lot eloquently than I did. <laughs> I got the point across. <laughs> I, I just have, this is what I have written down. Mm-hmm. Purpose of Leviticus is to instruct Israel concerning how to maintain holiness within the community so that the Lord would continue to dwell among them. Perfectly said. So moving on, the purpose, occasion, and background, Leviticus from our study Bible says Leviticus should be considered a continuation of Exodus. We already established that. (laughs) The second part of Exodus is devoted to building the tabernacle, the purpose of which is to manifest the Lord's glory among the people. The entire content of Leviticus was given less than a month after the construction of the tabernacle between the first month of the year and the second month of the year, following the Exodus from Egypt. So this whole book takes place within the course of a month. Yeah, about three weeks, three and a half, four weeks. So it's it's just the instructions. It's not necessarily the people carrying out the instructions, but it's the instructions given by God to Moses. Exactly. That makes sense. Um, Before we get into a good chunk of what I really want to read through from my study section, which is titled Interpretative Issues, Mm -hmm. Interpretive Issues, um, we kind of wanted to go over how the book is set up. Yeah? Yeah. So the Bible Project, if you haven't heard of them, they're a really good resource. They put out videos and they have studies, um, like notes, study guides and things, and they have a lot of resources. So if you haven't ever checked them out, I encourage you to do so. Um, I found their video on Leviticus very helpful. Yeah. And they're not long either. No, they're like six minutes. I was going to say, I think it, yeah, it was, it did not take any time at all. Yeah. It gave a really good overview of how the book of Leviticus is set up, the whole point of Leviticus and why we have it and all of that stuff. It was a really good kind of like top layer, yes. but we have three themes really of Leviticus and the book is separated out into about seven parts. So the three themes are ritual, priesthood, and purity. Um, and they kind of are separated out in those end to end categories. So if we, we start with the ritual in chapters one through seven, and at the very end of the book, we end with ritual. Um, next theme, we go into priesthood and then near the end of the book, we go into priesthood again. And then we have purity on either side of chapters 16 and 17, which surround the day of atonement. And I understand that listening to me try to explain what this graphic looks like is probably really difficult. I'm not saying anything. I'm just shaking my head because I'm looking. I'm literally looking at it. Yeah. So maybe we'll post it on our social or something. But I think it's a really good way to kind of break apart what we're talking about when we're talking about it. Um, and it, the overall layout of the of the entire book of Leviticus goes ritual, priesthood, purity, the day of atonement, purity, priesthood, ritual. Yeah. It kind of bookends the day of atonement with each individual theme. Yeah. So moving on from the layout of the book, we're getting into the interpretive issues. Um, this section of my study Bible is really long. Um, so I'm going to break it apart, but I am going to read it word for word because I think it's really good and it helped us in preparing for this episode and preparing for understanding Leviticus and starting us in this new book. 
It says Leviticus is a difficult book, mainly because modern readers have no firsthand experience of ancient rituals and the worship practices of the tabernacle. For this reason, readers should be aware of the potential pitfall of imposing concepts or distinctions that are foreign to to the biblical text itself. With this general warning in mind, several particular interpretive issues may be mentioned. The first one being ritual and ethic ethical commands. To begin, there is some debate uh, about how to understand the relationship between the ritual regulations of chapters 1 through 16 and what are commonly called the moral slash ethical commands of chapters 17 through 27. It is not uncommon for modern readers to see ritual and ethics as two very separate matters and thus to view these two sections of the book as quite different and distinct. Leviticus, however, is more nuanced than that. While it may be true that not every ethical law of chapter 17 through 27 involves a ritual, it is not true that every ritual of law of chapters 1 through 16 is disconnected from ethics. In fact, the whole book is concerned with Israel's being holy to the Lord, and the ritual laws of chapters 1 through 16 are just as important in in this regard as are the laws of chapter 17 through 27. From the perspective of Leviticus, there is no such thing as a non-ethical ritual law. As a result, it is unwise to see chapters 1 through 16 and chapters 17 through 27 as two unrelated sections of material. Both are equally concerned with Israel's holiness to the Lord. That was a lot. It was. So the book is surrounding Day of Atonement. Yeah. So basically that whole section was talking about how the first half of the book is very ritual based on what these people should do in order to reconcile their relationship with God. The back half of the book, in turn, does have ritual aspects to it. However, it's more so centered on what the people should do in their everyday lives, how they should carry out their behavior, you know, what isn't and isn't morally right. Um, And I think just keeping those two distinct probably puts us in a bit of a uh, conundrum because, you know, we can have rituals and we can have ethics, but they're not mutually exclusive. Correct. I don't have a whole lot to say because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Great. Moving on. I mean. (laughs) So we have the next section of interpretations surrounding unclean, clean, and holy. It says Leviticus often uses the language of unclean, clean, and holy differently than today. With unclean and clean, for example, most modern readers are tempted to think of that which is non-hygienic or hygienic. In Leviticus, however, these words do not refer to hygiene at all. Rather, they refer to ritual states. The word holy is also used in many contexts to describe a ritual state. Understanding the concept of ritual states is very important to understanding Leviticus as a whole. Leviticus sets forth three basic ritual states, the unclean, the clean, and the holy. On the one hand, these categories guide the community with reference to the types of actions a person may or may not engage in, or the places that a person may or may not go. Those who are unclean, for example, may not partake of a peace offering, while those who are clean may. A modern analogy might be that of registering to vote. A person who is registered may vote, whereas a person who is unregistered may not. There's a distinction to be made between ritual states and moral states. One who is in the ritual state of holiness is not necessarily more personally righteous than a person who is simply clean or unclean, just as a person who is registered to vote is not necessarily more righteous than a person who is not. I had trouble wrapping my head around the clean, unclean, and holy, to be completely honest. Yeah, it took a lot of... So, the conclusion that I came to, I guess, being clean and unclean, right? Yes. 
Something that's unclean is considered to be unfit in the use of worship for God. So remember when they finished the tabernacle towards the end of Exodus, Moses had to go in and anoint everything to make it worthy. To make it holy. To make it holy. Mm-hmm. It kind of all ties in together. And I think, you know, I can't remember if I said this out loud when we were talking about it before or not, but I think kind of like the beginning of Genesis where we were provided with or we saw the definitions of what you know what love sin da, mm-hmm. da, 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 all is here we're kind of getting the same thing the basis of what is considered i mean i don't know what other word to use other than appropriate what is appropriate what is okay what is worthy to be able to use for god or not mm-hmm. um and and i just thought of this so in the old testament you had to be clean or your sacrifice had to be clean before you went to god now through jesus christ we can come as we are Yes, you can come as you are, but you may not be able to stay where you are. Like, yes, but I just mean, though, (laughs) anyways. So here's my take on it, because it was very difficult to comprehend and to understand, because like the book said, it said, I thought clean and unclean was like hygienic, clean and unclean, but clean and unclean as compared to holy. So we have a holy God, right? And we cannot approach a holy God when you are not in a correct state, right? So within Leviticus, we have certain things that would make you unclean. So for example, if you touched a dead body, or if you came in contact with bodily fluids, it would make you unclean for a time, but that was not permanent. Um, And in that time of your uncleanness, you could not approach God. You could not come into his presence. You could not do sacrifices. You cannot come to worship. You had to wait either a certain amount of time or do a certain amount of things in order to become clean in the eyes of God. Same thing with like eating or sacrificing animals that were considered unclean. It's the same situation. Um, So really clean and unclean, you have to compare it to God's holiness Mm -hmm. in that looking inward at yourself to see, are you clean or unclean? I feel like to... We can kind of push it. This might be completely incorrect and it's just me spitballing here, but we can kind of look forward to the um, communion with God. And that's communion exactly with Jesus. What the parallel that I made. Yeah. With, you know, how he says that if you're harboring sin or if you're living in sin and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should not Don't do eat it. at the bread and take of the vine. Like you were condemning yourself in doing so. Same situation if somebody was unclean or in a state of uncleanness mm-hmm. and approached God. Yeah. You're condemning yourself. Exactly. It's not a physical state. It's a spiritual state. It's a spiritual state. Exactly. Exactly. And there's certain things that made you unclean and there's certain things that made you clean. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The Bible Project had a really good thing on it and I can't for the life of me remember exactly what they said, but I encourage you to go look at it. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moving on. Did you have anything else? No, that was it exactly. Okay. I had a state, it, not a state as in not say, but it was a state. Yes. It's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So the next portion, par- portion. <laughs> I'm Canadian now. The <laughs> next portion 
of this is kind of short. It says how ritual purity relates to moral purity. Even though ritual states and moral states are different, the ritual states also seem to represent or symbolize grades of moral purity. The highest grade of moral purity was that of the Lord himself, who was holy and who dwelt with the holies, dwelt in the holies of holies. By constantly calling the Israelites to ritual purity in all aspects of life, the Lord was reminding them of their need for also seeking after moral purity in all aspects of life. Mm -hmm. So your highest grade of moral purity is God. Yeah. Good luck. We can never get there, clearly. Thank you, Jesus. That's why they needed the rituals. Exactly. To make them clean. Clean and to make them want to be morally pure. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So interpreting the rituals and ceremonies, a further challenge, (laughs) we have a lot of challenges in this book, a further challenges in Leviticus is how to interpret the various rituals and ceremonies. In particular, how should the individual acts and objects that make up ritual be understood? Answering this question can be difficult for the simple reason that Leviticus rarely explains what various rituals, actions, or objects mean. Yes, it's very true. Rabbit holes. Yep. One of the few exceptions is 1711, where sacrificial animal blood is said to be the life of the animal. Some help is provided, however, by asking questions about general functions and the specific functions of the ritual. Generally speaking, rituals may function in several ways. For example, to address aspects of the human condition, such as impurity or sinfulness, to serve as a way for the offerer to express emotions or desires to the Lord, and to understand underscore various truths about the Lord or the human condition. In many instances, one ritual may accomplish all of these things. It is helpful to ask which of these general functions is in view in the ritual being considered. Related to this, one should ask, what is the specific goal and or function of this particular ritual as a whole? Answering these two questions provides an interpretive framework in which to understand the individual actions of the ritual, much as a paragraph is an interpretive framework for the sentences sentences in it. For example, if a ritual as a whole is meant to express an emotion, which is general, and more specifically to express praise, which is specific, then the individual actions or objects of the ritual should somehow contribute to this goal. Though this approach may still leave some questions unanswered, it would usually provide help Oh my gosh. It will usually provide helpful guidelines and protect readers from some of the interpretive excesses of the past. That was a lot basically don't get dug down into the specifics of these rituals because a they don't matter anymore mm -hmm. and b it's a lot yeah exactly (laughs) exactly i'm glad you went down those rabbit holes though Uh, it's not a whole lot it's a few which we'll hear about next episode i'm excited it's a few it's i feel like i got your hopes up oh okay but we'll see we'll We'll see down i'll I'll put them down we'll see (laughs) oh okay I'm having to hold it up so I can read it and my arm is hurting. (laughs) Um, Oh, look at this. Another interpretive issue is how one should understand various concepts such as uncleanness, cleanness, and holiness. (laughs) A great debate accompanies this issue. Well, I am glad because we weren't the only ones struggling to understand that. Uh, Clearly. (laughs) A great debate accompanies this issue for the simple reason that Leviticus often provides various laws concerning cleanness and uncleanness without giving explicit rationale of why something or someone is clean or unclean. See, I feel like that, ouch, I feel like that the rationale of why things are the way they are, a lot of people get hung up on, but see, people of Moses's day just took God at his word. Yeah. And I think now, like, like, why can't we do that? I think some things are easier for others. You know, I think we've talked about this in past episodes, and I know that we've talked about it personally. You know how 
one of our spiritual gifts is faith. Yes. And so just believing something that God says, like for me, just believing the Bible, it's just easy. Yeah. Like what the Bible says, it's just easy for me to believe. But there are people out there who it's just not that easy for them. They just, they just can't. Well, why is a pig unclean? You know, right? Like, why is touching a dead body unclean? Yeah. What do they mean? What well, clean? I took a shower. Yeah. I washed you know, my hands. It's not a hygienic thing. It's a spiritual. And I state. think the 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 missing of the rationale or the missing of the explanation surrounding these certain topics makes it difficult a to understand because you can't explain to somebody why God said touching a dead body was unclean mm-hmm. and made you morally unclean or ethically or ritually whatever unclean you Mm -hmm. could not approach him but on the other side just accept it for what it is and move on (laughs) like the people of moses's day did just do it i'm sure they probably had questions because at the same time they were coming from a pagan society and a lot of these things were deeply ingrained in the egyptian and pagan societies Mm -hmm. um and so when God said, this makes you unclean, they're probably like, but I do that every day. Why do I have to stop doing exactly. it now? Exactly. Exactly. Why like, nothing's is that happened unclean? to me so far? I've been okay so far. Exactly. But also so far, you've not been corrected. Approach God and you'll die. The bells. Anyway. So I don't know where I left off. Traditionally, commentators. Okay. Traditionally, commentators have thought that the rationale behind these rules was to be found in hygienic concerns, polemics against Canaanite religious customs, or the symbolic meaning of death. Of these options, uncleanness as symbolic of death appears to be the only proposal that sufficiently covers many, as opposed to just some, of the cases of uncleanness. If this is correct, then holiness, which is the polar opposite of uncleanness, often should symbolize life. Which, when you think about it, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Because what is death? Death was a result of the fall, and the fall was the death first sin. Is the absence of life. So, just like darkness is the absence of light. Yes, and death is a result of sin. And so, if you're mm-hmm. unclean, you're sinful, you're impure, death. Mm-hmm. And if you're a sinner who does not accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and does not repent, you are an absence of God. Correct. Boom. Correct. (laughs) Bomb dropped. Okay. Correct. Moving on. Does that make sense? What we just talked about? Yeah, I think so. Okay. New Testament relevance of commands in Leviticus. What do these legislative texts of... (laughs) Words are hard. (laughs) Okay. What do these legislative texts of Leviticus have to do with the church today? At this point, only a broad picture may be presented, and it will be painted in three brushstrokes, merely offering examples of the value of Leviticus for the Christian believer. First, the sacrificial system of Leviticus has ceased for the people of God. It has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Yet studying these laws is important because they enable the reader to understand how the work of Christ saves people since the sacrifices point to different aspects of the meaning of Christ's sacrifice of himself. Second, the festival calendar of Israel enumerated in Leviticus has strongly shaped the Christian church traditional calendar. The three main national pilgrim feasts of Israel are the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Harvest, and the Feast of Booths. For those churches that follow the traditional calendar, these celebrations find their climax in the Good Friday, Easter, and Pentecost. Mm -hmm. To fully understand the Christian celebrations, one must see their initial purpose in the Old Testament. At the same time, some aspects of legislation in Leviticus such as the laws regulating clean and unclean foods, had the goal of separating Israel from the other nations. Although this separation has been done away with in the Christian era, these laws still teach people of God to be morally clean. Third, the entire Levitical Holiness Code deals with sanctification. 
or the idea of holiness affecting how one lives in the covenant community. The New Testament applies to Christians the same principle of life stated in Leviticus 11.44, Be holy, for I am holy. In fact, many of the moral requirements reflected in the holiness code reveal the kinds of moral conduct that are still either pleasing or displeasing to God. On the other hand, several details of the holiness code concern more symbolic aspects of holiness that should no longer be followed in the Christian era, such as laws prohibiting garments of two kinds of cloth. Chapter 19, verse 19, prohibiting the shaving of the edges of one's beard. Chapter 21, verse 5, and excluding people with physical defects from the presenting offerings. Chapter 21, verse 17 through 23. Wow, that's kind of messed up. That's going to be interesting. (laughs) Further, the New Testament envisions a people of God that transcends national boundaries, and thus it dissolves the bond between the specifically theocratic system of government that was Old, Old Testament Israel. Therefore, current civil governments need not replicate the civil laws specific to the Mosaic theocracy, such as capital punishment for adultery in chapter 20, verse 10, for the blasphemy in chapter 24, verse 16, or for the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year in chapter 25, verse 1 through 22. Although, of course, all governments must pursue justice, and Leviticus may certainly help Christians develop their notions of justice. There you have it. That was a lot. But I feel like it's a lot lot of good information. And if Mm -hmm. you don't have this Bible, you would never know. No, you wouldn't wouldn't know that. No. So Mm -hmm. basically, it's all of what we said about how most of what's in Leviticus points to Christ. Exactly. And it points to his purpose of, you know, the whole purpose of his execution on the cross. Yeah. Crucifixion. (laughs) I was like, what's the word? But it is. Murder. Okay. Moving on from that, I feel like, well, we haven't gotten into this episode really at all. It's not going to be that long. <laughs> Isn't it? We still have a lot to go over. Do we? That might be a full episode. It will be. Maybe not an hour, but I bet you 45 to 50 Probably. minutes. Anyway. Continue. Continuing on from the interpretive issues, which I feel like we've we've covered, and we'll probably cover as we get into the chapters yeah, also too, and just remembering that stuff that they said, yeah. you know, try not to fall into those pitfalls. Of exactly, things and those specific questions they said to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, what is the specific goal or function, mm-hmm. and what is the overall goal? Exactly. And stuff like that. But yeah, so the key themes. Are we going to go over the key themes? Yeah, let's go over the key themes. All right. Number one, the the Holy Lord is present in the midst of his people. The people of Israel must therefore properly address their sin and impurity and must strive for personal holiness. So the whole goal, whole goal of Leviticus is, or the whole real theme of Leviticus is God providing a way for sinful and selfish people to live in his holy presence. Yeah. I think it's important at this point too, because we've said the word holy, you know, quite a many times. I know, I know we touched on it a little bit. Yes. And I have an entire previous episodes to go over what the holiness of God is and just tip of the iceberg in the next episode. It's yeah. I think for purposes of this episode, it's just, I think we need to give a quick definition of it. Okay. So holy is literally means to be set apart yeah, or unique. Yeah. Set and apart. God is holy because as the creator of life and the universe, no one else has that ability. Exactly. He is the one, the way, the life, the light. Exactly. And like, that's just something like one of those things we were just talking about. Like you just have to accept that. Yeah. Like it's something that you can't really fathom. Right. At all. Which is Correct. why, you know, Moses had to be hid in a rock <laughs> and shielded yeah. by God himself. There's just so much to it. And I know we talked about holiness, too, 
in Genesis a little bit about yeah, the whole series and mm-hmm. it's it's so much. I mean, people write books on the holiness mm-hmm. of God. If you are in we the market in- for a book on the holiness of God, check out The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Yeah. And I mean, we could do an entire separate podcast merely on, on the, the holiness, holiness of God. God. Like yeah really could but yeah so, i'm sorry i just wanted to throw that out there since we were talking about we've been talking about holiness quite a bit here in yeah. this last little chunk for yeah. those of us who aren't super familiar with it that's and like fine. what that means that's fine yeah but the literally the entire purpose of leviticus is the instructions from god for him providing a way for sinful selfish horrible people to live in his presence mm-hmm. in his holiness of who he is and yeah. where he's at. I mean, and if that doesn't... Without dying. Yes. And if that doesn't speak to how much love he has for us and to... And I know we've used this phrase before, but if this entire book is not a perfect example of him catering to our humanity, mm-hmm. I mean, he is protecting us from our own sin. He's providing us a way out. Yeah. That's how much he loves us. Even after the, the, Isra- the Israelites just did what they did, here he is still giving them a way out so that they can be with him, you know, mm-hmm. eternally mm-hmm. so that he can be among the people. Yep. Anyways, number two. Number two, in order to approach God, worshipers must be wholehearted in their devotion. What do you think that means? I feel like we're going to get into it in the first chapter when mm-hmm. we talk about burnt offerings, you know. Just as we should come to God and come to Christ with our entire self, with our entire life, mm-hmm. they should approach him in that same manner. Uh, forgive my language, but you can't be half-assed. No, no, you can't. You can't. You can't cling to God and have your hand on the world. Like it exactly. doesn't work that way. Yep, you'll get ripped apart, and it won't end for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, for you. Mm-mm. So, but if you're on the fence, you're not on the other side. If you're on the fence, the fence is in the devil's area. Mm-hmm. You're not. Say. Yeah. Anyways, that, that's such a good. That was so that's such good. a good reel. It was. It <laughs> really was. It. Yes. Okay. Those who are called to be spiritual leaders, such as priests, bear a heavier responsibility than do the lay people. In addition to the outward holiness that the priests are granted when ordained, they are constantly commanded to maintain inner holiness. So the priests themselves are held to a much higher standard Mm -hmm. than the rest of the Israelite people because they are in such close proximity to God. That and because they're visually... The leaders, the spiritual leaders the, of yes, the congregation. Visually, I mean, because we were just talking about holiness and everyone, you know, through these rituals and now through Jesus Christ can be holy and set apart. But visually, and they're just they're just set apart even from the remainder of the Israelites. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like on a pedestal. I mean, I hate to say on a pedestal, but they're like, they're, a, not, they're not a step above, but they're held to be a step above. They're in God's eyes, they are held to a higher standard, A, because of their close proximity and working with him. They carry out their, you know, the the rituals that we're going to talk about that make the rest of the people clean. So if you're an unclean person, you can't do that. Exactly. And then C, you know, if they're in such cl- close proximity to God and his holiness and they are in an unclean state or unfit state or they aren't holy themselves, more holy or more, not holy, more um, clean, I don't know, more morally right morally right is what i'm looking for um if they aren't in that state then they would literally die well and i think too because they are because they're so visual Mm -hmm. 
to God. And I mean, remember back in Exodus when Moses was coming back with his family, God was going to take him right then and there because he was not leading by example. Yeah. Because he didn't. But the people look to the priests in order to exactly. direct their life. Exactly. So you know, if you're not living and doing what you're supposed to be doing the way you're supposed to be doing it. Practice mm, what you preach. Exactly. Exactly. Practice what you preach. And I feel like that concept has been lost so much in our in our ministries today. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things out there, so many scandals. Yeah. With people in church and priests and... <laughs> All that goodness. Yes. Love it. Just the further degradation of humanity. Mm-hmm. Number four. <laughs> As seen in the Day of Atonement ritual, the total cleansing of sin and uncleanness is done when the innermost part of the tent of meeting is purified. Ultimate purification of uncleanness is impossible from the human side. I don't really have much to say on this. Me either. I'm confused. I, mean, I feel like I need to get. Okay, hold chapters. on. As seen in the Day of Atonement ritual, the total cleansing of sins and uncleanness is done when the innermost part of the tent of meeting is purified. It's, it's ultimately ultimate up to purification God. Of, ultimate purification of uncleanness is impossible. Yeah, that's just saying you can't save yourself. No, you can't. You can't save yourself. It's got to come from God. Yeah. So that's the whole point. Yes. Again, number five. Atonement is a gracious act of the Lord by which sins and impurities can be dealt with. Which we just touched on for like five minutes right after point number one. (laughs) Seriously. But literally Leviticus is all about God's grace Mm -hmm. and his mercy because he's gracious and withholding his mercy from the people. Or not his mercy, his judgment. His judgment, yes. Oof. Anyway. I feel like that was a lot and that's pretty much it. Um, You know, just kind of a recap here. The overall problem that we have at the end of Exodus is that we have a holy God dwelling amongst a sinful people. Correct. And we cannot continue to live that way. God will not allow them to continue to live that way. Um, So in order for God to stay with the people and the people to stay alive around God, we have to have things done. Things need to change. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Yeah. And I know we talked about this briefly, too, initially, I think back in Genesis, whenever we were talking about, you know, the whole putting into place the process or the whole ritual of sacrifices, Mm -hmm. because when you do things outwardly, it will result in an inward change. So if God can get them to practice these rituals, Mm -hmm. then they're going, their hearts are going to change. Yeah. Because like what, what point was it? Like point number two, I think said you have to approach God with your sacrifices and from a wholehearted state. Exactly. So if you're not wholeheartedly in it, if you're not taking your goat or bird or whatever the heck you want to sacrifice Mm -hmm. to God and saying, I am a sinner, I need your help. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. Correct. Um, the outline we're going to have, you know, we kind of already touched on it a little bit with, um, kind of how the, the book is laid out with ritual priesthood and purity, but we have kind of major headers that are in the outline. I think it's good to hit on those just to give you an idea of what's coming. So it starts with the five major offerings, um, the handling of those said offerings, the establishment of the priesthood, the laws on cleanness and uncleanness, which for 
reference is chapters 11 through 15. So if you want to tune into those episodes and see us try to explain clean and unclean. Right. Again. (laughs) Please join us. (laughs) Uh, We're going to be doing a lot of praying till then. Seriously. (laughs) So chapter, the next one is the day of atonement ritual, the handling and meaning of blood, (gasps) the call to holiness, holy times, blessings and curses love that mm, PTSD vows and, and then finally vows and dedication so it's gonna be good i mean I it's like all it's good. good but this is gonna be really good i'm excited about being able to discuss in a little bit more detail holiness because i just think mm-hmm. like it sounds like such a simple co- like concept but it's so much more complex than that and our just our flesh is a barrier for us to be being able to comprehend it exactly mm-hmm. yep um, I feel like it, it's definitely going to be different from Exodus. Exodus was a lot of instructions on building and materials and all of these yeah. things. But like we have meat to dig into yes. here. Literally, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but with figuring out what these mean, what, you know, these institutions are, why they were in place, the deep underlying ritual meanings to them all. You know, I feel like we're going to have a lot of fun trying to dig and find I things. I so too. We have, there's rabbit holes. There's a lot of rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. Starting with the holiness of God. <laughs> but yeah, I am super excited for this chapter, this chapter, this book. And I can't believe we're in Leviticus, man. We're, we've made it through yeah. the first two books of the Bible. Nine, 9%. 9%, 9% of the way done. there. We're almost double digits, baby. <laughs> when did we start this? In January? January. And it is now what? August. Yep. Oh man, eight think, months. Yeah, I think it'll start to go faster like, the more know. we get into things. And but at the same time, I mean, I don't want you to can only fast. learn what you learn. Yeah, and there's always more to learn. Always. So anyway, I think that's it. Is that it? Do you I, have anything I, else? No, I think that's it. All right. So on the next episode, we will be discussing Leviticus chapters one through three, and that will be up next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed the time we spent in God's word, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening.